Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the album wrap episode for the seventh season of the Tom Petty Project. I'm your host, or one of your hosts for today, Kevin Brown. Uh, this is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. So yeah, today's episode is the album wrap for Let Me Up. I've had enough with my perennial, that's not the right word, is it? Co-host, John Paulson. How's it going today? It's almost annual. It's probably annual, biannual, co-host. Uh... Yeah. What did we we do? I don't know, three or four a year, four yeah. maybe. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's ha- I'm happy to be here. This is a fun album to discuss because it was definitely uh, one of the lesser regarded albums, and I think that's safe to say in Petty's catalog. But yeah. there's a lot of interesting music here to talk to discuss. Well, and I'd, I'd always sort of going into this season, and I think I've said this on the podcast. Probably might have even said it in some of these episodes that I've always sort of said that "Let Me Up, I've Had Enough" is probably my least favorite Heartbreakers record. But I think that's probably changed since I've been doing this because I have unearthed a few things that I'd either forgotten about or overlooked. And I'm sure we'll we'll dig into that. So let's just let's throw straight in. Okay. Um, but well, no, actually, let's rewind quickly. Do you remember? Because obviously, you got into Petty. This album was already out when you got into Petty. So when you went back and listened to this, what was that like? Kind of coming off the back of you know Full Moon Fever and Integrate Wide Open and the sort of the linear of polished production and going back to this one. How did it land with you? Yeah, it's it's tough for this one to sort of hold up to where I joined the whole uh, petty camp. Uh, yeah. Got really got into them because I think uh, one thing I was thinking about during the listening to this and you know over and over again is that uh, you know I think from Full Moon Fever on he sort of settled into a production that sounded timeless and sounded like it could have been recorded in the seventies or it could have yeah. been recorded in the nineties, but the eighties were a weird time. Uh, production wise, as we all know, from a musical standpoint, and there's lots of uh, experimentation going on, some things that didn't stick. So there's some of these albums that sound extremely dated. So I think going back to listen to this, uh, when I initially got into Petty, you know, there's some good tracks here. There's stuff that just doesn't sound like Tom Petty did to me at that point. Yeah. And uh, but there's definitely, you know, he's a fantastic songwriter. Mike Campbell's a great songwriter. So there's definitely moments. There's definitely songs that uh, have stood that stood the test of time. And, you know, as you get into the playback box set, which has a number of tracks from these sessions, you really could envision a completely different album could have come out of these sessions. And we are going to envision that. In quite some detail, I think. I think that's going to be the, the funnest part of this um, conversation. But definitely the thing that stands out for me about this one is because there's no external producer on this, there's no one else. There's just the five guys. There's no additional musicians. There's no external producer. I think you do lose that sort of, hey, guys, maybe this is a little bit low. Maybe that's a little bit muddy. Maybe that's not your strongest song. You don't get that, you know, that quality control check to say, mm, I wouldn't have done that. Because I don't think, there's a few songs on this record that I don't think Jimmy Iovine would have produced the way they ended up on this album. R- Ruben certainly wouldn't have done, Jeff Lynne certainly wouldn't have done, right? So it's it does suffer from that production. There's a bit of fuzziness in it. I, like all of the main things that I, I found myself saying over and over again is I can't really hear how his bass. It's, it's mixed so low and it kind of clashes with the low end frequency. So I think that's, again, you know, as brilliant a songwriter, as brilliant musicians and studio musicians as they were, there's an art to producing. There's an art to mixing. Like it's not something that everyone can do. And I think they got it quite right on this record. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, going back and I, every, before every one of these album rap episodes, I like to go uh, watch the section of the documentary yeah. running down a dream, uh, look up the discussions of the album in conversations um, just to get a feel for what's 
how the maybe the band or how the state views the album and in in uh, running down a dream it's barely mentioned i mean it's a Perfect. two or three minute segment they played uh jamming me uh they might have you know played one other song or a snippet yeah. of it uh and tom was just sort of like let me up i have enough it's self-explanatory like he's just like kind of that's his that's the only thing he says about it in the yeah in the documentary and then in conversations he said i think it worked on some levels it didn't and that didn't work on others he commented about how when he and mike are producing i mean they're both very capable of producing but oh, are sure. they the best producers for their own album and i think they've learned throughout this process that they are they need somebody else to help um sort of focus them because yeah they had, you know, as Tom said, they had Mike stuff, which sounded very produ uh, produced. And then they had, and then at that point, um, Tom was just doing stuff off the cuff. There was lots of ad libs. He said his stuff was cruder and you could definitely tell the difference between the, the two sides of this album, not, not album sides, but the two, you know, the Mike side and the yeah. Tom side, how different those, those tracks sound. So that we'll definitely get into that more later. Yeah. It's that. Again, it's that thing, like, you know, you said that they needed a, an external producer to really sort of give them, I think everyone does. There are very few records work that are completely self-produced. I mean, I think Prince might be an exception, but there are very few people who can produce their own music properly because you just, you do need that sort of external person to just bounce ideas off. You know, I mean, look at the Beatles, that George Martin was the fifth Beatle, for God's sakes. Like, they wouldn't have been the Beatles without that guy sort of saying, well, let's steer it this way or let's make sure this is right, or yeah, no, no, we need an orchestra, or we don't need that there. You, you do need that validation. I think that as good as, like you said, as good as Tom and Mike are, they're good in tandem with someone else. And I think that's an important thing, which, and they, they, they never went back to this style, right, afterwards, which is, I think, is telling. I don't, yeah, I don't think they did. And I, I, I think it's important. I think the musicians and the songwriters are in, they're, they're basically in the woods. Yeah. And they can't see the forest for the trees, as they say. And absolutely. Uh, the producer has the more of the macro view of how things are fitting together, or how things sound uh, with, with a critical eye too, like or a critical yeah. ear, I should say, like, I don't think Tom and, and Mike are, you know, maybe listening to their music in the same way that an outside producer would be listening to it, trying to get stuff on the radio or, you know, thinking yeah. about the whole vision of the album. I guess the analogy would be sort of because I coach, but when we do evaluations, preseason evaluations, I never evaluate my own kit, right? So I evaluate it because I'm too close to that. Someone else should evaluate my kid to tell me whether whether she's any good, right? So that makes sense. Okay, well, let's jump in then. So as always, um, we sort of talked a little bit offline about which songs we want us to focus in on. And the first one you said was obviously you know, jamming me. We got to talk about that song because it was the lead single. It was the biggest hit off the record. What are your thoughts on jamming me? I think it's uh, a really solid rocker uh opening track to the to the album um and the things that i would comment like i think this is a great sort of rorschach test or something to to, the, to this album because it, it peaked at 18 yeah on the uh, the hot 100 it was number one on the u.s rock chart so it was a hit uh you could definitely argue that it was the biggest snub on the first greatest hits uh package because it it was the biggest hit that was left you know in terms of chart yeah. performance was the biggest hit that was left off of that greatest hits disc and so like this is the biggest hit on the album and it didn't make the greatest hits compilation so what i'm saying is maybe the the estate and and the band didn't view this album you know in the same light as it did some of their other work and that's what i'm kind of getting at with that but I do think that it should have been on that great. We could talk about the greatest hits compilation on yeah. another episode, but it definitely should have been on there. Um, the lyrics are uh, 
mostly written by uh, Bob Dylan, I, I believe. Uh, I think Tom and Mike uh, took the lyrics, changed the music around, yeah. uh, and 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 Bob was fine with that, uh, and then released it that way. The lyrics are certainly dated. I mean, you have uh, mentions of Vanessa Redgrave and <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe Piscopo. And there are some interesting things that I hearing it again and again, uh, you know, talk about the apple and young Steve's eye. I, I kind of, I thought for a while uh, that was a reference to something else, but I think it was apple uh, Steve oh, jobs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then I believe that there was a mention of, you know, Trump building a, a golf course outside uh, his door, the singer's door. And the, you know, obviously Trump has, has, made, <laughs> has had a big impact on the country in recent years. So there's something, you know, Apple and, and, and Trump and some things yeah. that have kind of withstood the test of time. Uh, I really like this song. It certainly would be on all my playlists and uh, you know, they did go back to it and they were playing it to open some of those uh, long stands that they were doing uh, in the smaller venues uh, in the nineties. So I think they, they did get back to it and they realized how good of a, of a, a jam it was. Yeah, the, the bit you talk about with, you know, Dylan writing the lyrics and then Tom and Mike changing things around. <laughs> just, just that quote in conversation with Tom Petty, he says, you know, I, I took really just the lyrics of Jam and Me and completely rewrote the music with Mike. And then I sent it over to Bob to see if it was okay. And he said, yeah, sure. So that's the extent I took the it. It's just like, it's so Dylan that, eh? Yeah. But yeah, I don't care, whatever. <laughs> well, it's also Petty telling the story. So it's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, sure. And then maybe there was a 15 minute conversation about it, but, but Petty's <laughs> like, oh, the crux of it is, yeah, sure. <laughs> But there's so many times like I've heard Dylan interviewed where he does give sort of, you know, someone will say, they'll give this long, long, long ass thing about, oh, and these, this is what I read into this lyric and this is what I think about this. And then Dylan will just go, oh, okay. <laughs> he's just, he's so, it's not that he's not bothered. He just, I don't know, I don't have anything to say about that. So I'm not going to wax lyrical about something where I'm just going to say, okay. I don't know. I think brevity is, is good sometimes. And one of the other notes that I've made about this one, and again, we will talk about this on uh, Greatest Hits. I think I would definitely put it on ahead of something in the air because just that's a cover and then whatever. But what I'd written, so the, the way I signed off in the episode notes, I went back to look at what I'd written about this, and I've done this for most of the songs, because it's been a, a while since I sort of did my reviews of them. So I said, is it a bad song? No, it's catching, it gets your foot tapping. It's also fun live, and I do like the bridge in it, as well as some of the ripping piano that Ben Montenti is playing down. And then I, I did, so get this that I wrote, and I don't know if I agree with this anymore. I wrote, but is it a great Heartbreaker song? I would say definitely not. I'm not sure what perspective, but I think maybe it is because it's that Dylan influence and it doesn't quite sound like Tom lyrically. So it feels more like, you know, if, if they jammed that out with Dylan, say they had Dylan come in and sing it, that might have changed that too. That would have been quite interesting to see them do that live on that tour with Dylan. So I don't know, but I'm not 100% sure what my mindset was when I wrote that down. So yeah, find that yeah it's it's also the like, what is your definition of great? And then how many are you going mm -hmm. to give, you know, that label to within yep. his catalog? Uh Versus a very good, I would describe it as a very good petty song. And I definitely agree that this doesn't sound like pretty much anything else lyrically that he's ever written. And yeah. that's because he didn't write the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very simple. Yeah. Well, onto things that don't sound like anything else in the catalog. The next song that we were going to talk about is Runaway Trains. Um, Number six on the rock charts. Yep. Didn't chart on the Hot 100, which actually really surprised me because... It does have that, I'd written down, it's got that sort of 80s action movie feel to it, right? And that was really big at the time. Jan Hammer was all over the charts. You know, you got Axel F, all that kind of stuff. I would have thought that this would have been prime for that kind of era, that it would have done quite well, but it just it didn't even chart. Yeah, a few things went through my mind as I heard this over and over, and I, and I realized that it's, you know, the third most streamed song 
on the album. So right. Jeremy's number one, uh, it'll all work out. Uh, is number two and Runaway Trains, 600,000 on streams on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, amongst people that are listening to this, the third most popular song on the album, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I have trouble with it. Uh, I think it's a good song. I just don't think this sounds like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I mean, obviously you can hear Tom singing. Yeah. Uh, but the music is so, and the way it's produced is so out of left field relative to what they typically are, are are producing in this era, in my opinion. So I don't think yeah. it fits with a lot of the other stuff that's going on in the album. And there's two, like two other things occurred to me as I was listening to it. It sounded, you know, obviously the boys of summer situation prior to this would have impacted whether or not this song got on the album and whether or not uh, Tom was willing to work with it. And I think yeah. that, you know, I think he probably felt like, oh, I missed I missed a, a shot there at a huge hit when uh, Mike took the music to uh, Don Henley after I turned it down. And OK, I'll listen to this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work this one into the album. It definitely yeah. has that Boys of Summer feel to me. It also has kind of a Bruce Springsteen 80s feel to me. And, uh, you know, Born in the USA was a monster, monster, monster hit uh, for Bruce Springsteen in the mid 80s. And I was wondering if, you know, as I was listening, this was Tom feeling any pressure because his uh, sales had started to decline, uh, Springsteen, uh, his sales obviously peaking. Uh, you know, was there any pressure? Did he feel like he had to sort of fit within what was popular at the time yeah. in order to try to have a hit like this? And um, so I, I sort of wonder what was going on. It's all speculation, but to me, um, I I like the song. You know, in a vacuum, I don't like it as part of a Heartbreakers record because to me, it doesn't sound. Uh, like a lot of the rest of the music that's on the album. And as soon as you put it on, you're instantly in 80, 1987. Yeah. And that's not typical of Tom Petty's music. So um, to me, it doesn't, you know, I'm not crazy about it from that aspect. I think, uh, you know, like I said, in a vacuum, it's a good song. I was listening to it again today on your on your uh, yeah. list. And I'm like, this is a good track. Uh, it just doesn't sound part of a Petty album to me. It's and in that regard, what you're saying there is it's almost like Don't Come Around Here No More, right? It's the same type of thing where definitely release it as a single because it is a good song, but it doesn't really quite fit with everything else on the album. And I will get into producer for a day later, but I did include it. But I went again, I went back to my notes and I do remember coming in with a big chip on my shoulder about this song, a big preconception that I thought this it's this not a good song for a lot of the reasons you've said. But then when I went back and listened to it, especially when you listen to the live version. Like, actually, the song itself is really good. There's some bloody good lyrics in that song. The chorus is fantastic. It's an earworm. It sticks in your head. Again, it's the production, though, right? So I think if the arrangement was close to the live version with more mic on guitar and you could hear how his bass more clearly, I think there is a knockout song in there. It just suffers a little bit from chasing trends, which, again, they did it on Southern Accents. They did it on this record where they were definitely had one ear on what's going on in popular music right now, which, again, I think after this, that never happens again, right? Tom never right. looks at the zeitgeist and says, well, I want to do this. It's always, a, no, my strength is writing my music my way. And so I'll stick to that. And that's what's going to make me popular. That's what's going to land for people. Yeah. And we've had a few of these come up over the course of this where the, the live version, I mean, the, you can tell this is a good song. It just, yeah. it's just the production is kind of distracting. Like you, you mentioned the Miami Vice. I didn't make that connection, but that didn't, didn't, but didn't, didn't, at the, at, you know, it's yeah. underlined the whole song. It's a little distracting. Um, but the, you know, the song structure, it's catchy is a good, there's a good chorus to it. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely things to like about it again. 
And, and I, it's funny that you brought up don't come around here no more because I had the opposite um, reaction myself. Like, yeah. so, you know, spoiler alert, I left runaway trains off of my producer of the day uh, track list, but I, yeah. I included don't come around here no more because it's so good. Like you yeah. have to really, you have, like, it's that good. You have to find a way to to put it on. So that, that was my uh, attack on those two songs. Yeah. And again, it, this song too, as another one, we, we've talked about this before, definitely. And I've talked about it lots on the pod where, Petty was so adept at writing great opening lines. And so she's up there all alone. I'm down here changing lanes. Again, it's one of those really scene setting, very cool lines that doesn't mean much really in isolation, but it just pr primes you for what's going to go on, especially with that sort of that really synthy um, arpeggiated progression that Ben Mont's playing. So I just, I really like that opening line. Yeah, I think there was one that one line that bothered me, but I thought the rest of it was really strong. It was in the chorus. Uh, like when an angel cries, right? Oh, like, <laughs> like that. That just kind of makes me cringe. Uh, that doesn't sound like I don't know. Uh, that was not my favorite line of his. I'll I'll just say that. No, I know what you mean. Okay, what's the next song that we're going to cover? I, I believe we're going to go into "It'll All Work Out." So, Absolutely. yeah. So this is, you know, probably my first or second favorite song on the album. Just a gorgeous uh, ballad. Um, the the guitar is unusual, so that makes it another thing that kind of makes it stand out as you know a, an odd an oddity in terms of a, being a heartbreaker song. But it, yep. I think it fits better than Runaway Trains did in terms of the production. Uh, Japanese Kodo uh, was being played by Mike Campbell. This is a funny kind of story behind this because of uh, you know Tom kind of did a demo but was feeling too close to it. Didn't want to finish it. It was kind of about his marriage, maybe falling apart. Yeah. Uh, and he just gave it to Mike and said, can you make a you know, song out of this? And yeah. Mike put all the music together and then Tom came in and sang over it and it was done. He goes, it was, it was the only time that ever happened and it's never happened since. Uh, that's a, that was an unusual way for this to, to sort of uh, come together. And there is a uh, longer version. It's three, uh, three minutes and 45 seconds that's on the elizabeth town soundtrack i heard i, I rewatched uh, elizabeth town uh, a few months ago and okay. heard it and uh it, it, you have to find you have to find the soundtrack in order to get that version because it does uh extend the instrumental uh which is great so uh, i think it makes it a little bit better yeah and i looked for that and i couldn't find it i think i'm gonna have to just buy that i think it, maybe even we were chatting on on twitter in our dms but i think i just gotta buy the cd because i you just can't find it anywhere, which is weird because you would think it would be on youtube so maybe what I'll have to do is rip it and put it on YouTube and see what happens. But you know, one thing too that first of all, I I definitely remarked on this in the in in the episode. I don't know how I missed this song for so long, and it didn't sort of grab me as being this is one of his best deep cuts as far as I'm concerned. It's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant piece of music that Mike wrote. It's a beautiful lyric and a heartbreaking lyric. His vocal performance is superb. There's no fat on it. Everything about this song is like basically, yeah, check, 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 check. Everything is brilliant. Um, so I don't know how I missed it. Was was this has this been one that would would this been on your sort of playlist? Did you know about this song or did you sort of rediscover I did. this? Yeah, okay. no, I this is one I knew. Like I knew a few off of this that stood out, and I will talk about another that I have no idea how I knew it so well. I must have listened to this album and these particular songs, you know, stuck out more. Yeah, but this is one that you know this is the second most streamed song on the album and i think it's a you know petty fan favorite yeah um i was aware of it it wasn't you know top 30 for me uh 
I don't think uh, for most most of my petty fan fandom, but yeah, um, it was it was definitely one of the standouts from this album. I think it's the best song on the album, and by by a fair bit, I think like there's you know there's other good songs, but there's nothing that's got that X factor that some songs have that it's just like that just elevates it to this different level. And I gave it a nine out of ten, and the more and more and more I've listened to it, it's like nah, this is this is. I mean, if I'm gonna call you know something bigger ten, this is definitely a ten, hundred percent. So. This is like a great example again of a, a petty ballad that doesn't get released as a single, gets kind yeah. of overlooked, but it's one of these slower tracks that are just excellent that you know fly under the radar because they weren't played on the radio. You know, maybe that's something I we'll have to do, John. At some point, is do a petty ballads episode, and we'll put a put together a twelve or a fourteen track, you know, that you can cuddle up with your wife on the couch with and just throw on. And although they're all going to be breakup songs, so I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes it a little tough. You know, the other thing I'd written down too is that are you a fan of I don't know if you ever seen Highlander? You must have seen Highlander, right? Yes. The movie. So yes. the scene where they play Who Wants to Live Forever, where it's Heather's aging and Connor isn't, and it's this sort of this heartbreak where he knows he's losing her, but he doesn't want to leave her aside. And she says, Will you stay with me forever? And he says, I will petal. And it's like it just that rips your heart out. I think this song would have worked really well for that because it's got that, even though it's got that Japanese kodo, it's quite a bulky sort of celtic vibe to it where i think with all those scenes of the big sweeping rolling highlands would have worked really well so i'm not what i'm gonna do i'm actually gonna go dub that back over top and see if it works <laughs> yeah and i it's a good point on the celtic i wasn't sure how to phrase that uh you know that opening that does sound a little bit celtic with the japanese kodo which is yeah. interesting but yeah it's mike campbell i mean again i'll just i'll just i'll just learn how to play koto then because it's not like it's a weird instrument the bridges move like on each string it's individual so you can do different tunings but I, it's got strings i can play it crazy okay the next song ain't love strange yes we have to talk about this one <laughs> so you know i i think i dm'd you and threatened to leave the podcast because of your <laughs> score i think you gave it a six out of ten mm -hmm. uh and i like i went back and looked at i go it's only got two hundred seven thousand streams which is a it was really low for a petty song yeah I always thought this was a minor hit and was released as a single. And I, the research I did shows that it wasn't. And yeah. I don't know how I know this song so well. It must have been from the few times I listened to the album, you know, back in the day. And I played, I put it on my playlist and it's just, it's been on my playlist ever since. So then I hear it a lot more, obviously, because it's on your playlist. But yeah, this one to me is just a really, really catchy song. I think it's, you know, up there, top three song on the album. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it wasn't released as a single, but this is just to me, it's just a fantastic song. It's catchy as hell. When I, <laughs> I don't know because again, I went back and looked at my notes for this, and I was basically just only positive about it. So I don't know why I gave it a six, John. It definitely at least a seven, and probably should be an eight for sure, because it is got it's super catchy, very simple, and I think maybe that's what it was. Where if I'm looking at you know, I'm looking at this sort of technically as much as I am emotionally. There's not a lot going on in this song. It doesn't change directions very often. There's not a ton of stuff coming in and out, which you usually get in a Heartbreaker song. So I think that maybe that simplicity is what I focused on more than is it something you're going to sit and hum and is it going to stick in your brain? Hell yeah, it is. Yeah, there's a few, you know, portions of the song that really, and I, I'm scrolling through our conversation here. I, I, there was just some really cool moments in it um yeah. and 
I mentioned those to you, so maybe you could throw that in the in the uh, you could dig that up, put them in the notes. Like just listen to the this five seconds or eight seconds of this track. It's yeah, to, it's to me, it's it's certainly probably my second or third favorite song on the album. Probably my second favorite song on the album. Interesting. Yeah, my my last sort of line in the episode was, "This is a really nice bouncy album track and one that I would never skip, but I wouldn't hold up as a shining example of Tom's songwriting either." So again, like I don't know, man. I I think it is an album track, definitely. I would have been surprised if they had released this one. I don't know if it is a single. Um, just I'm not too sure if it's strong enough to hit the charts. And I think there are there's definitely a little bit of a production issue on this one too. The mix again is not perfect and we'll get into this when we start talking about some of the outtakes i think um and i think i was based definitely could have popped more but yeah when i went back into so when you, you'd messaged me and sort of said what the f- dude you know they're six don't back listen i'm like why did i give this a six i don't know i have no idea so it's an earworm and to me yeah. I, I found it it's uh, the 47 to 52 second mark uh the 129 to 150 um range really like get it for me like i yeah. really like to hear that especially those sections uh so I, I would have given it a seven and a half or an eight easy well and what's that because it's got that um that static uh piano note being played all through it and i can't remember which song it is it was i think it was an outtake from uh either southern accents or maybe long after dark where there's another song that's got the same thing or there's another song later on maybe but they've used that again i think they end up yeah, I think it was off something. I think it was off a B side that we've already talked about. Oh, um, is it "Keep a Little Soul"? I think that I one is a very similar. Yes, I think you got a similar refrain, right? So it's yeah. that thing of that cannibalization of well, I like that idea, so let's go and put this on this song that we need a bit of, you know. But yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fun little song. I like it. Yeah, and I think that once we've gone to, I decided that once we've done Full Moon Fever and we've done the album wrap there. We're going to do a redemption episode where Kev gets to, you can call me out on anything you think I've misrated and we'll go back and we'll maybe do a little bit of a re-review. So That sounds good. That'll be fun. <laughs> okay. I think Think About Me was the next track. Thoughts? Uh, yeah. Uh, peaked it. It was a single. Um, this is a good track. Uh, I like the opening of it. Um, I think it, it does sound like one of the, the songs on the album that, could have been recorded in the 70s it has that sort of production yeah uh i believe uh tom said that this was really ad-libbed 100 uh, in the studio yeah. uh it peaked at 36 on the rock chart just a solid solid album track and it turned out to be a minor hit for him one of the cool and you can really hear it because and i noted this and when you listen to so obviously like okay i'm going to start playing everyone can see my hands so they know i'm in a so they start playing a and they all follow on and they're good enough that they can okay well this is the bounce and this is the beat of it but when it gets that din, 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 stan's not ready for that push so he plays straight through it the first time he just keeps a straight drum beat going the second time through then he accents the bam bam but he gives that on the drums so you can tell it's live and they go they haven't gone back and re-recorded those parts so i love that little telltale sign that yeah this is really genuinely a live performance straight through and then of course tom goes back and writes the words and, and comes back and sings them but what a way to write a song, guy! Yeah, and I, you know, I think there's a a, a sweeter spot uh, in between doing it once in the studio the, for the first time and, and yeah. releasing that on your album, and <laughs> you know, doing it a 360 versions of it, yeah, and trying to find the right one, playing it over and over. I mean, it's probably a happy medium there, or maybe five or ten. You take your best, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's what they decided to do. I mean, I think there was a interest. I mean, I don't think a a, a producer, if there was a third producer or producer in charge of the album would have allowed this 
to happen in terms of just I, being I mean, definitely. And even with this yeah. song, because Tom said like they, the first chord on the album track is actually copied in from some yeah, later in the song they, because because they didn't the engineer didn't know that they were going to start playing and didn't punch in soon enough, right? So, well, I think it's you know it tells you something about the quality of the band and uh, his songwriting that he can ad lib a song and it, <laughs> and it makes the the mainstream rock charts and it yeah. goes up to thirty six. Just bananas, <laughs> absolutely bananas. Yeah. It's got, and it's just got so much groove and so much. And again, it's another one of those stones. And we'll get into like me up. I've had enough. The song, I think, after this one. But this is where they get that Stones vibe, just dead on. Like it's it's perfect, and it's not parody. It's just a song in, like you said, in that seventies blues rock style. Again, it's really really simple. Um, and it's like I'd written down in my my episode notes that it's almost like the older, cooler cousin of anything that's rock and roll. Because yeah. of the, the leather jacket and the hot rod car, you know, it's got that swagger to it that you think, yeah, that's yeah. just very, very, very cool. That's a good comparison. Okay, so straight into then, let me up. I've had enough. Yeah, this is the title track. Um, I, I, I'm a fan, or I'm okay with parentheses and song titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an issue with it in, in as a album title having right. parentheses. <laughs> so that's just one of little my <laughs> my little quirks. Uh, but I, yeah, this is one, and you know, I talk about this just about in every time we do one of these album raps. Is this is a, of a song that comes up that I really didn't like or listen to much prior, but then listening to the album ten or fifteen times, uh, really ended up liking a new song. And this is to me the one that really stood out in this uh, exercise. It, it, you mentioned the Stones feel; it does totally have that feel. I like it when they do; they're kind of blues swagger yeah uh certainly strikes me as one that petty was doing when he, he calls crude uh you know sounds doesn't sound polished and everything so and the opening of it reminds me of the same old you which was a previous track that really emerged uh during the, uh the, was it the long after dark uh uh album yeah um, yeah so yeah this is one that really popped up uh as i listened to this one yeah, it's funny because this is this is one that I, I think honestly probably this only gets on the album, especially when we know we find out later on all the outtakes that were available to choose from. I think this gets on the album because Tom likes that line, that let me up brackets I've had enough because it was Stan Lynch, right? That's where Tom says that came from. It's just a saying that Stan Lynch had, and Tom liked it, so he wanted to write something. And I think that only makes that because you've already got, you know, the song we just talked about, "Think About Me." Well, this is the same song, really. It's the same kind of vibe. It's the same thing. And I don't need to hear that again. I've already heard this already. I've already heard the Heartbreakers do this. I've already heard them doing it on this side of the record. So to me, it's just a bit, I don't know. I'd rather have had one of those other outtakes in there than this one. And it's it's just, to me, it's a bit, it's okay. It's an album track. It kind of sounds like a blues bar band doing a jam. There's nothing wrong with it, per se. It just doesn't really excite me very much. And I also think it's a little bit long. Like it just drags a little bit for me, and it's only three, what three thirty or three? But I think okay, this song's over now. Why are you still playing this outro? So, I love it. I love it when they do this stuff. So I'm, I included it on mine, uh, and I, I feel like you have to have the title track with the album <laughs> if you're going to leave. I mean, you could have changed the name, but uh, yeah, it's a great line, and uh, I think the chorus is really good as well. So I, yeah, I kept it. Damn the torpedoes. There's no song called Damn the Torpedoes on the album. You can have let me well, up. I'm saying, like, you, yeah. you, if you're going to name the album Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, and you have a song called Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, it'd be tough to cut it. Can I go at Queen? Sheer Heart Attack, the third album? 
The Do song Cheer Heart Attack doesn't they, doesn't appear. No, there isn't a song called Cheer Heart Attack. They then wrote a song called Cheer Heart Attack on their sixth album. News the whole yeah. I'm feeling belligerent today. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fight back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I know what you I know what you're getting at. Okay, so the last song we wanted to cover in a little bit of detail was The Damage You've Done. Yeah, I, we could talk about that one or we could talk about how many more days because I think we I, I included The Damage You've Done on my uh, alternate playlist. Yeah. We both included How Many More Days. Um, but The Damage You've Done is interesting because there is a country version first take on the playback box set, which sounds completely different. And it was an so much better. Yeah. You like the, you like the country version better? So much better. Interesting. See, I, I I think there's just a good song there, so that's why I re- retained it, and I like the song in general. Uh, it's definitely rougher. I would love to have heard, you know, I think Tom could have gone off and written a, a fantastic country album if he ever yeah. wanted to do that, but um, it was rougher production-wise, obviously. Um, but I think I just think the so- the song is really solid. Well, it's funny because again, this is we haven't disagreed that much during these, and we've had like points where we've sort of argued better or stronger or much stronger or whatever but honestly this is by far the weakest song on the album for me and it's one that's the only time so far in doing this podcast where i've gone in and i like a song less after sort of diving into it because to me it's just it's very monotonous there's not a tongue on it i don't like the fade in i don't know why yeah, I don't, i'm not a big fan of fade either yeah that just it just sort of I don't know. I, it sort of grates on me a little bit. Um, I think the the uh, country version is better, and we'll we should talk about. It. Let's get let's get into this now because I think one of the things that when you go back and when you go to listen to the outtakes, a lot of those outtakes are going to make our albums, our, our re you know our resequenced albums. But part of that is the production because they've definitely mixed those in you know ninety six for playback or two thousand. When was American Treasure? Was that two thousand nineteen? Something around there. I can't remember when that was released. So they've definitely Ryan Oliade and and Mike Campbell have gone in and they've and Tom for playback. They've gone and remixed those, so they sound better. They just yeah. sonically sound better. They're just definitely way better produced. And this is one of those songs that I think really exposes that. Where we've got two versions of the same song: one that's been produced much later on with a th- with a third ear, and then one that was produced during these sessions. And you can see the difference to me. It's night and day the difference in quality in the just in the sonics. So the damage you've done that, that appeared on the American Treasure. I think it was American. It was either American Treasure or Playback. Yeah, I can't remember. I know that. I know it was on uh, the country version. Was on Playback. Playback. Then, yeah, there you go. Um, but I wondered. It'll be interesting to hear. There is a. Oh, there is a uh, version of it on alternate version on American Treasure. So that's, you know, it would be interesting to listen to that versus the. Let me up. I've had enough. Ver, like version that was released on the album because one of the things i really wondered you know listening i you know it was you know playback was great came out the nobody's children disc to me is phenomenal it's like the yep. lost petty album but as you mentioned and i was wondering i was actually going to pose that question what did they do prior to that release because those tracks sound very different than let me up i've had enough they yeah. sound like they were recorded in the 90s so if they're reproduced or remixed in the 90s that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense i mean there's no question in my mind that that's the case and they don't i was looking through and i can't see 
Not an American Treasure, at least. I can't really tell which ones were and which ones weren't specifically produced because there's just sort of blanket producer credits on most of them. But you can just you can hear it. Like if you listen to the again, if you just listen to the quality of the production on it and the engineering on it and the mixing, it's just different. Like it's way way better. I mean, you know, the whole of Let Me Up I've had enough. I was talking to Dallas Ellico, one of my other previous guests about this too, and he says the same thing. Like even when you listen to the vinyl version of Let Me Up I've had enough, and then you listen to the spot the, the Spotify version right now, that's definitely been remastered, and it might have even been slightly remixed because it's definitely better quality. It sounds, it just sounds better. It pops better. There's a little bit more low end in it. It's a little bit, I don't know. It just, it just, it just sounds crisper. The Spotify version? Yeah. Okay. 100%. Yeah. I would not, I really want, I didn't realize the damage you've done was on uh, American Treasure. So I want to listen to that and see how much different that sounds that uh, compared to the uh, original version. Let's, let's just discuss the B sides for a second. Okay. Like, yeah, sure. And I, I'm, maybe I should have gone into that as I, we were talking about it, but we had make that connection. Uh, the B-side to Jam and Me, which is um, not a not a super complex song, but a great jam. Yeah, uh, Got My Mind Made Up. Uh, that ended up on a Bob Dylan album. And I went and listened to that. And I was like, okay, I could see. Yeah, It didn't it didn't seem to do particularly well. It wasn't really highly streamed on his album or anything. It doesn't seem like it's a favorite of, of Dylan's fans. Uh, Ways to Be Wicked, which is incredible. Uh, uh, how does that song not make this album, John? How does that song not make it? It's unbelievable. Well, yeah, how does how does got my mind you know my man made up not make it? How yeah. does can't get her out make it? That's the fourth <laughs> one I wanted to mention. Um, and then there's so those four for sure should have made the album, and they certainly sound so good. I mean, make that connection was released back then, but the other three sounded so good on the Nobody's Children yeah um, disc. And then I have a little bit of a a, a bone to pick with the uh, inclusion. Yeah, on your end of I knew, you come I knew through. This. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yeah. Now this is one of my favorite Fetty songs. Period. Yeah. You come through, but I could not, in good conscience, put it on my uh, "Let Me Up" alternate track list because one of the things that makes it so great is that Lenny Kravitz came in, played the drums, played the yeah. bass, uh, did some vocals, and he did that in 1995. So yeah. that doesn't happen. I can't put it on this album. But I understand why you you did. It's a, a phenomenal track. So I just wanted to, you know, yeah. let the listeners out there, if they're wondering why I, I didn't include <laughs> it, that's 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 why it, it was finished in 1995, and I can't include it. In good conscience. And so my only counter argument to that, and because I knew that that would come up, and because I, I was wondering the same thing, why is he not put on there? I know he loves this song. The song itself was written in those sessions. It was arranged. Then the vocals were all. You know what I mean? So to me, the yeah. song is from that time. So you know, because it's the same thing with um we just talked about with the playback and american treasure where they've gone back and reproduced those yeah. they wouldn't have sounded that way had they been included and released on on like at least there no, was so. an actual drum track this was there was a click <laughs> <laughs> there was a click track and you have this like mega late night late 80s 90s star lenny kravitz yeah playing on it so to me like in my alternate world i would have loved for this track to be finished in 93 or whatever the first greatest hits album and that yeah. it would take the place of something in there i mean i think that would be the that would have been the perfect place for it released as a single and then all of a sudden he's releasing mary jane's last dance and you come through yeah. back to back uh as part of his greatest hits package i think that would have been just phenomenal i've melted faces because it is yeah. because, and it does it's funny because i you know i like kravitz's first the two three four albums i think he got a little bit mired yeah. down in his own sort of ethos after that but 
it sounds like a Kravitz song as well. It sounds like a it sounds like Tom Petty and Lenny Kravitz had a baby, and it's this yeah. song. You know what I mean? Yeah. With with Mike Campbell playing guitar, <laughs> yeah, I'm playing some know. sweet it, guitar on this yes, song. It's it's an incredible song. So I'm just not going to include it. Uh, but yeah. I understand why you did. I, I just I, I would pick a bone or pick a bone with your bone to pick with it. Yeah. Uh, producer of the day. So I just would like to say this about it before I, because I know there's some purists out there that are like, why yeah. do these guys do this? Like why <laughs> do, why do they do this? But as Tom said about the album, it was really two different things. Uh, I love Mike Campbell. But I think in the late 80s, I mean, I love Mike Campbell. You know, I love Mike Campbell. He's yeah. probably my favorite classic guitar or classic rock guitarist of all time. He knows exactly what to play, when to play it. He's come up with so many of the great riffs uh, in Petty's catalog. Uh, but this, there's this produce, you know, overly produced music. And so that's why I left off Runaway Trains. I tried yeah. to use the great leftover tracks to make a more cohesive album that sounded a little, maybe a little cruder, a little raw, what Tom was going for at that time. Cause then I think, yeah. then I think we get an album that's timeless as opposed to one that really sounds like it was recorded in the eighties. Yeah, that's fair. Is that how you kind of approached it as well? Or I, what I, I kind of approached it. Like I took all the songs that we had available from the sessions, including, you, you know, you come through. I thought, okay, well, which, first of all, which do I think are the strongest 12? Because I, you know, and I always pay attention to time because I'm a vinyl nerd. So I thought, mm -hmm. well, I've, I've got to have two sides. They've got to be balanced because i got 23 minutes and no more. Um, can I pick 12 songs or 11 songs or 12 songs that I think are the 12 strongest out of this cohort? That's what I did. And from there, then I thought, well, how do I sequence those so there's a bit of flow to this album? And what? how do I want it to flow? And that's, we've taken very different approaches in that, which I found interesting. The note that I've made is you've definitely gone for a lot more sort of build and release on side one with putting, um, it'll all work out. So maybe just go through side one and tell us, tell us what you're. Right, I'll, I'll do mine one. first and then I'll comment on yours yep. after you go through yours. So I, uh, side a, uh, jamming me, uh, really solid opening. Uh, why not just keep it? Uh, yep. it's a good, it's a good opening track. Number two, Ways to Be Wicked, kind of keep that energy going. Another would have been another good single for him. Uh, and then we take a little bit of a break, as you mentioned. It'll All Work Out comes three. Yeah. Uh, and then follow that up with Ain't Love Strange, which I, I mean, I think all four of these tracks could have been singles. Uh, Ain't Love Strange, kind of pick up the pace again. Then you get into Make That Connection, which I think is a, a little bit different than Ain't Love Strange in that it's louder. Uh, it's not particularly fast, but it's a loud rocker. And then close uh the side with can't get her out and you're trying to you're kind of taking that energy into you know having to flip the record over because at that point you're like okay what's gonna start this next side yeah and let me up i've had enough opens it so you have the album track uh properly on the album uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh opening side two with, with a bunch of energy and i think those two songs actually go good back to back if you you know, play it that way. And then yeah. got my mind made up, uh, uh, side, uh, B track two. Uh, I'm, I included, uh, the damage you've done. And I'm right now going to say, I might be swapping that out with the newer version of that from the American treasure. I want to hear that to see if that maybe okay. sounds better with the rest of the, the album. Uh, then I had think about me, uh, at, uh, track 10, uh, fourth, 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 uh, track on side B, uh, all mixed up, I think, is kind of an underrated track on this. I think it's pretty catchy. I, I think I had a little bit of a problem, and we we ended up differing on a few songs that were cut and kept. I think there's just this there's this little tier of songs that I don't I wasn't sure what to keep, and yeah. I wasn't sure. Like I think, um, for example, "Runaway Trains" is a better song, just construction wise, yeah. than some of these. But I don't think production wise it fit with what I was trying to go for. 
So All Mixed Up was the second to last song on the album. And then I close it because I do like to close things with kind of a wistful uh, feeling. And I think How Many More Days uh, is a love song. It's got a nice piano. We were, uh, talked about it briefly earlier, yeah. but I, I think it's the piano on it's great. And it's a it's a great way to end the album. And so then I, because looking through yours, the note that I've made on yours was that, um, again, let me up. I just, I don't have on mine. So, but I would have switched the last two tracks. I think that All Mixed Up has got that sort of, it's taken us down, right? And take, really taken us down. And so I think having those two in sequence next to each other works, but I would have just, I would have just flipped those the other way around. Interesting. Um, neither of us included My Life, Your World. That's the one that we agreed on isn't making the album. Yeah, not my favorite. And it's one that I think a lot of Tom Petty fans like. It gets, you know, when I put the album, put the episode out, the comments were all favorable on Facebook. I was like, oh man, yeah. And again, I think it's one of those things that it's a very 80s heartbreaker song that just doesn't hold up. Like I said, if you're going to take if you're going to take Runaway Trains off, you can't put this one on either because it's the same type of area. You know, I think this is where maybe older, older Petty fans would differ from us because if they're, if they're listening to these albums as they come out, then they yeah. associate these songs and these albums with their lives at that time. And they might listen to this and, uh, you know, Mike's life, my world or whatever it is, uh, might bring back some memory of theirs yeah. from their life at that point. Whereas we're going back and listening to it way after the fact, you know, as we listen to a pile of great uh, petty songs and yeah. just have a different sort of feel about it. I think that's probably because like, so much of music is like how it brings back memories in your head of maybe the first time you heard it or something that dramatic in your life that happened at that time. And maybe that song either was the soundtrack to that moment or something that helped you through it. And I think that I think so. I think a lot of older fans and they're, they're probably a lot more purist when it comes to why are you guys doing these these yeah. alternate track lists? Whereas we're just sort of, you know, picking and choosing our favorite songs and trying to get them on the album in a sequence that makes sense. Yeah, it's just fun to do, right? I think it's there's yeah. nothing. It's not saying that it shouldn't be that way. It's just it's just something fun to do. The one thing about that song too, though, that I I thought is that it, it is a Mike Campbell piece yeah. of music that Tom goes back. It feels like they're really working hard to make it work. It doesn't feel natural that song. It feels like it feels like a struggle. Everything about it just feels like it, they're fighting against it. They know there's something in there. They're not quite sure how to get the best out of it, and I don't think they do. You know, so it's another one of those like the boys of summer type thing, like you said, where Tom's maybe got one eye on not wanting to miss that opportunity if it is there, but it just it falls a little bit flat that one. So but he's, uh, there was three that were Mike Campbell compositions. Is that correct? Five uh, off this album. Oh, five. Well, well five co writes. I mean, oh, jamming me obviously with Mike and and Bob. Runaway trains, my life, your world, all mixed up, and let me up. I've had enough. Okay, uh, I would have thought that let me up. I had enough was more of a Tom composition, but. The guitar, you could definitely hear Mike's yeah. riff. And I, just uh, I was I'm thinking just, I, I, of the ones that maybe Mike brought pretty complete. Uh, maybe I was thinking, so it was Runaway Trains, My Life, Your World, and then did you say All Mixed Up? All Mixed Up, yeah. Okay, so those are, I think are the ones that he brought completed. But maybe Let Me Up I was in that pile of songs as well. Yeah, and I just realized I've taken out, I've taken out three Mike Campbell songs. Which apologies to Mike Campbell if you're listening, Mike. Of course, Mike. We, lo we love you, Mike. If you listen, we love you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So my the, the way I arranged this, I wanted, I just wanted to melt faces on side one. I thought, you know what? Let's just hammer people on side one, keep everything up, and then on side two, then we can get sort of a little bit more funky. So I went with Jamming Me again. I think that song, it is an opening song. It's an album opener all day. You can open concerts with it. 
it's got that energy to it. If you're going to put it on there, it's got to be at th- number one. Think about me. I put it at number two because then you can keep that. Now it's now we're getting into party mode. From there, go straight into ways and ways to be wicked because again, it's still got that up tempo. It's major key. It's a lot of fun. Uh, then going to ain't love strange. We're keeping the tempo, man. The tempo is high on this side one. You come through. Then is the fifth one. So it's a little bit of a drop, but you've still got the same major key vibe. And I think if they, you know, if you if you take out Kravitz's voice and you but you keep his his drum line and bass, I think it works. I think it would work. Um and then got my mind made up would be my um my closer. And I think, yeah, I mean that one's that's the one, that's the Dylan one, right? The one that Dylan recorded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean their version is so much better. Yeah. His version is so much better. And that is it's almost like it to me, it's like a precursor to Mojo. Because it's got that he's got that thing he's doing with the the effect on his voice sounds like US forty one, and he's kind of drawing them, and it's got that feel of sort of that bluesy swaggery kind of thing. So that's my um, that's my closer. Side two can't get her out. Open up with I went with self made man because I love that track. It's in that same vein to me as Spike. It's like it's bedfellows with Spike, where it's got a similar mystique to it. It's this guy who you don't really know too much about he seems like a bit of a renegade a bit of a you know bit of a maverick so i kind of like that one in there and i like those tracks at, at uh, song two on side two i think those always work well um how many more days i really like it um uh, spot three but i would love to hear a better mix of that a better version of it make that connection which i've always think is like that's them that's coming out of the uh, the dylan thing because that's when Dylan went electric and he did things like Groom Still Waiting at the Altar and he had these big blues jam numbers. It sounds like one of those to me. So I've got that one sort of anchoring side to Runaway Trains as the penultimate track and then it'll all work out because I like it all, it'll all work out being the the coda to the whole thing because that line, it'll all work out. You know, it's, it's, it's a fairly down song, really, lyrically. It's quite challenging, but it's got that release and it's got a little bit of redemption in there. Well, I think it, eventually it's all crap now but it'll all work out. And I think that's a nice way to, to close out an album. So that's my justification. Yeah. Yes. And I have a few notes. Um, yeah. And I, we picked nine of the same songs. Yeah. Um, you included, you come through self-made man, runaway trains. I included, uh, let me up. I've had enough. The damage you've done and all mixed up. Uh, again, I d- don't think that you come through should be on here. <laughs> I take I, I'm c- point of contention. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I really liked your transition from jamming me to think about me, you know, I had listening to this a couple times yeah. this morning. Uh, I think those two songs go well together. Uh, we both put ways to be wicked on side a, cause we both recognize how great of a song it is. We both put ain't love strange uh, fourth. Yeah. So that's good to see that you've sort of admitted that you were wrong with your <laughs> score and you want to get it out there uh, on that first side. <laughs> I, I have, I have a, other note was title track, title track, question mark, exclamation point, question yeah. mark as my last note, uh, a second to last note. Uh, but we talked about that and I do think that it'll all work out. I thought about putting that last as well, because we've yeah. talked about the, you know, leaving things on a really quiet, uh, wistful type note. I, I do think that how many more days sort of fits that as well. So yeah. that's the way I went. And I, I did go with more of an up and down journey, uh, whereas you're, you're very up-tempo, but there yeah. are these songs aren't so similar that they don't fit together in terms of like being repetitive. Like they, these, the, your first side has definitely got its own, each song has its own characteristics and, and you know, sound distinct from the others. Yeah. It's fun. It's always fun to listen to because you know. I mean, the other thing is, you know, with certain albums, you your your brain already starts humming the melody to the next song because you know what the sequence is. 
one of the nice things about doing this, and especially when you like, I've got my secrets. When I go listen to yours, it takes you out of that a little bit, and it, it's it's jarring in the sense of, oh no, that's that's not what I was expecting. But sometimes, like I said, like I said, what was the, there was one especially that I loved. I'm just going to see which transition was it. I thought was fantastic. Oh, it was it, <laughs> saying that you know putting it'll all work out is track two. But when you go from it'll all work out into ain't love strange, when that stops and the next one starts, that was like, oh man, that sounds great together. That really, really works, which made me think, oh, I really want the low workout at track 12, but that transition's really, really good. Yeah. Everything about and it sonically, good, the, yeah. It's such a good song, too, that I wanted to get it on side A. So I'm yeah. still sort of in that mindset of getting the really good stuff on the front and then trying to make that second side uh, work with yeah. the sort of album tracks. But even, like, I think, Think About Me and uh, All Mixed Up, you know, my number 10, number 11 tracks, they were both released as singles. So it's a pretty yeah. strong album once you, and we knew we were going to do this when we were, you know, getting ready to talk about this album was that with four or five tracks off of Nobody's Children that are just yeah. really, really, really strong that this one was going to get, this this track list was going to get hacked up pretty good, <laughs> the original one. Yeah. I think, I think that's the most outtakes that have been released from one album session, right? I'm pretty sure that's, yeah. yeah. And it, it, what's crazy is that it, you know, is maybe it's regarded as one of his least popular albums, but there were all these outtakes that were sort of left off. And, you know, maybe the way that it happened is the right way because we, we got, you know, these remixed and they sound yeah. so good. And if they had been on the original we wouldn't have gotten these great versions of ways to be wicked. Can't get her out. Get my mind made up. You come through, et cetera, yeah. that now are the quintessential versions of those songs. I mean, they're the only versions of those songs, but yeah. how, you know, how much better are they that they ended up on the playback box set than they did on this album? Again, though, just ways to be wicked in any form oh, is yeah. better than about half of this album. I mean, that, well, that could, that could have been a single for sure. So this is a, a case of what I was talking about, where you are the artist and the songwriter, the album or the band are in the forest and they can't see yeah. sometimes what their best songs, perhaps. And if, if there was a producer there in charge might have said, guys, Ways to We Wicked has to be on there. Can't get her out. has to be on there. Got my mind made up. has to be on there. So, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I just wonder the conversations that were had like, yeah. to me when you have an album like this with this much potential what was the conversation of what yeah. we're going to keep and what we're going to, what we're going to leave off because great know, to be that, a fly on the wall here. Yeah. That'd be incredible. Wouldn't it? Amazing. Yeah. And it's the same. Like I know that that happens all the time with artists, right? About what well, the record company wants to release. This is a single There can sometimes be contentions in the band. If you've got multiple songwriters and I remember, you know, uh, night at the opera Queens album, Queens, huge album with Bohemian Rhapsody, Brian and Freddie just couldn't believe that the record company wanted to release you're my best friend. They're like, well, that's just oh. John's little love song. Like, why would we release that as a single? Like, like are you kidding me? Of course, that's a single. Ends up on Greatest Hits, of course, because it ends up being a big hit. But so it's that. I think that, like you said, when you're so close to it, you don't necessarily. You, you should. You sh maybe shouldn't be making the decision. You know. Yeah. Perhaps. So. Okay. So did you do? Did you do an EP? Did you pick your top three? And if you didn't. It's okay. Yeah. I didn't, but I think <laughs> I can. I think I can. Well, we're we're including all these options we're including all these options yeah oh boy i can't i can't in good conscience put you come through on there so that at least excludes that one i would doesn't, say um, doesn't make mine either okay i would say uh 
ways to be ways to be wicked it'll all work out and ain't love strange and that's okay that's tough because we're leaving jamming me off we're leaving can't get her out i got my mind made up yeah if we're if we're including the the nobody's children stuff it makes it a little bit difficult but i think i would include ways to be wicked it all work out and ain't love strange man we're two i've got two of the same okay so i got ways to be wicked it'll all work out but then i'm gonna think about me because i love that song so much but Ain't Love Strange probably would be my fourth now. I've well, had my, eye, I have had my eyes opened. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've we've done the that's the album wrap for Let Me Up. I've had enough. Um, the next time we get together, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about a pretty amazing album, a pretty huge album, not just in Tom's career but in rock and roll history, really. Right? Yeah. Uh, Seminal achievement. This is we're getting into the stretch here where I discovered, truly discovered Tom and his music and fell in love with it. So I'm excited to talk about Full Moon Fever. I think it's a near perfect album, but that's that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, about, I don't know, 13 weeks or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, until we meet again next week, uh, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to start reviewing the songs from Full Moon Fever. Bye-bye.